Some of you were here last night, and I'm glad you were. I was here myself, <laughs> and I'm glad I was. Praise God. We started down a track of some things, and I want to pick up with some of that, but then we've got some business to take care of tonight that I'm, I'm thrilled about. And really haven't gone down this direction just this way ever before. So we're just going to unload on you. I say we, it's me. I get that. I know. It's just a me and the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So it's kind of, kind of a whole group, you know. Praise the Lord. Last night we started talking about Jesus having prepared the place for us. How many of you were here last night? How many of you remember anything that was said last night? Even one thing, just one thing. And you could repeat it. What did you hear last night? About the Father, our Heavenly Father. Glory to God. Yeah, that it was the Father and the family. That's what he always had in mind. Yeah. What about you? I, what, what I took away was that Jesus used his symbolic. Isn't that strong? Yeah. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9 in the Mirror Bible says how he was in the habit of hearing from above and what he heard distanced him yeah. from the things that he suffered. Man, I'd like to go over that again. Praise God. Anybody else? You remember anything? Yeah. One thing. Yes, sir. Uh, you, can't do any, you can't do enough things to get into the supernatural. Sometimes. You can't. Yeah, that's you close. You can't do enough things right to earn the right to enter into the supernatural. You can't do enough things right to earn the right Come on. to enter into the supernatural. It's, we're in, and it's a life of faith. Jesus has prepared the place for us. Went with his own sacrifice into the presence of the Father to create the place where every person would have access to the presence of our Heavenly Father. Glory to God. This is what the world is craving and has all through history. This is what people today that search out other religions, they search out other approaches that they think is going to get them some sort of relief from the pain they're living in, and they're searching for what God has already provided. Amen. They're looking for the presence of their heavenly Father. They're looking for the blessing yes. of their Father. Yes. You see, every person really, saved and unsaved, every person is wired in a way where they desire and need and want the blessing, what you could really call as the blessing of their natural father. And there's all kinds of biblical things. Well, I'm not going to go down that track tonight, but it wouldn't hurt you if I did. No. The whole story of Jacob and Esau is a revelation of that very concept. How Isaac was going to give the blessing of the father and the blessing of the family to the firstborn son, which was common. That was the tradition. <clears throat> In some societies, it still is. Some families, it is. And between Esau and Jacob, though they were twins, Esau was the elder of the twins. But at some point it became clear that Esau was not really going to be the guy that would carry the, the real direction that God wanted this family to go in. And God had a different plan. You know, God doesn't always follow custom. He doesn't always follow even some things that he initiated. You know, the firstborn son, firstborn from the dead. Boy, I'm going to open up so many cans I can't close them tonight. But uh, 
The firstborn son, Jesus, he's the firstborn. We're the church of the firstborn. We have his inheritance. And yet in the case of Jacob and Esau, it wasn't going to be Esau. It was going to be Jacob. And as a result of a series of events, the blessing of Isaac actually came on Jacob and not on Esau. Esau wept bitterly. And in many, there, there's many reasons to understand that Esau had made choices where he disqualified himself. He didn't have to, but he did. But Jacob had that presence about him. He didn't do everything right either. But there was something that God could use in him, and God did. Esau never really recovered. Because he had, he had let go of his birthright and let go of the blessing that God wanted to put on him from his earthly father. We're all wired in a way where we crave and desire and want the blessing of our father. Sadly, though, a lot of fathers just don't even know how to do that. And there's not a school for it, it doesn't seem to... When one father doesn't know how to bless their child, then that child grows up, doesn't know how to bless his either. But it all stems back to the desire that every person is wired to have to be blessed by our Heavenly Father. And once we tie into that and understand that and have our minds renewed to that reality that God said he would be your father, what a revelation. Suddenly he can fill in all the gaps, if you'll let him, all the gaps that may have been there from a father that didn't really know how to handle things. Glory to God. That's not my message tonight, but it'd be good if it was. Praise God. Well, when the Bible talks about Jesus having prepared a place, that's what Jesus told his disciples he was going to do. Prepare a place for them. He did, and they entered into that place. Every disciple does. Every person that comes to know Jesus comes to the place of entering into what Jesus has prepared for us all. But in the course of that happening, something else happens. He not only has prepared a place, but he has prepared you to be his workmanship created in Christ, prepared for every good work. So not only are, are we in a place where Jesus has prepared a place for us, he has also prepared us for what he's assigned us to do. You already have the goods. On deposit inside of every believer is all of the resource and all of the necessary ingredients that it'll ever take to fulfill every design and desire God has for your life. Ooh, that's amazing. Because a lot of times we don't feel like we really do have what it takes. Not to see all the things that God really would want. Man, God says stuff. In fact, I can't think of one thing in all the years I've been in ministry, I can't think of one thing that when he told me he wanted me to do it, 
that I felt like I really had the goods to do it right. <laughs> when he started to talk to me about writing a book, and I've talked about that here before, but man, when God started talking to me about writing a book, I thought, Lord, you have got to be kidding. Because that's going to involve nouns and verbs and adverbs and all kinds of things that I'm not that familiar with. I'm saying, Lord, do you remember my English class with Mr. Gilbert? <laughs> see, because I don't. <laughs> you see, those days for me were not great days, to be honest. My school days, I mean, the, those early school days, uh, Mr. Gilbert was a high school teacher, and I think. It's a little fuzzy. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I was traveling the universe on a regular basis, and I really, I really proved you can be in two places at one time. Because there I sat in class. I mean, I was the epitome of quantum physics. I, I was there in class, and I was on the other side of the universe simultaneously. <laughs> okay, I don't intend to bring any of that up. But God starts talking to me about writing a book, and he, I, you can't be, what? You can't be, really? Write a book? I mean, through my high school career, there was only one book I even read, <laughs> Old Man in the Sea. It was just the thinnest book they'd let me do a book report on, you know. I thought that was, that's all I needed, you know, Old Man in the Sea. Unless, of course, you could consider Mad Magazine books uh, <laughs> part of the literary side of things, and then I was quite, I was, I was quite well read, <laughs> spy versus spy, and what, me worry? <laughs> and if you don't understand what Mad Magazine is, it, God bless you, it's, it's actually to your benefit that you don't, but me and Alfred E. Newman, we had a very special relationship. <laughs> which may have warped me for life, even to this day. We're not sure. I've recovered from most of it, I think. I said, Lord, you don't, you can't, you, I know people that can write, and Lord, I'll talk to them on your behalf about this project. You want it written, I'll, I'll help it, but I don't want to write it. You know, here's the thing I found about dealing with God. You know, you can negotiate with God. Now, some people have said you can't, but you can. I've proven it. You can negotiate with God. You lay out your case. You take your stand. You give him the options, and he doesn't change at all. But he'll go through it with you. I mean, it's amazing. And he did. Yes, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And uh, he, <laughs> so he, <laughs> I've got to recover. He will. Uh, He'll talk to you. He won't change things. And when you lay it out before him what you will and will not do, it doesn't really matter to him. He's just set on what you're going to do and how, how to get it done. So I laid my case out to him. I told him about my problems with Mr. Gilbert's class and all the reasons I didn't feel like I qualified for, for what he was asking and really telling me to do. You know, he's kind. He does ask you, but in the end, he, he's really telling you. <laughs> But in spite of it all, God wanted me to write this book, and shockingly enough, God actually helped me do it, and I won't take you through all the ins and outs. It was quite a process, of course, 
But that very first book that I wrote entitled How to Meditate God's Word is something that we still publish. It's something that still blesses people. In fact, we translated that into Tagalog here. And uh, Pastor David years ago and Brownie got the vision to translate that into Tagalog and we distributed, I don't know how many, over in Philippines, thousands of them in Philippines. And they've, it's gone all over the world. All that just to say that God has given each one of us the capacity to do far beyond what we've allowed ourselves to believe. Man, you know, when God edits on you while you're speaking, um, I've got to take you over first before we jump into, how long do we have tonight? I'm not going to be long, but I'm going to be fast. I want to read something to you first, uh, and then we're going to get off into what I believe God wants me to minister to you tonight. But I want to read something to you from Psalm 24. God just made this so strong in me once again. Psalm 24, and I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation, which we worked on last night some. Psalm 24, and I'm going to begin in verse number 7. In verse 7, he said, So wake up, you living gateways, and lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. I want you to hear those words because that is how God sees you and me. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to his people. And he says this, he says, So he said, Wake up, you gateways, you living gateways, and lift your heads, you ageless doors of destiny, and welcome the King of glory. For he is about, now watch this, he is about to come through you. I want you to let that soak in. Because this is why we are growing up in Jesus and why we're having meetings like this. There's different purposes for different meetings. Some are evangelistic outreach to reach out to people that don't know Jesus, and any meeting is, qualifies for that, but some, that's the emphasis of it. But other meetings are really about the ministry to the saints or the body of Christ. This is what Ephesians 4 tells us, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher are all really designated to do. They are to minister to the saints and build them up for the work of the ministry. Every believer is called to be prolific in the kingdom of God, and so we have times like this to discover things about how we can be used in this way as living gateways and doors of destiny. Let's not leave off that word ageless. That gets more important all the time, every day. Ageless doors of destiny. Glory to God. And the king of glory will come in. So he goes on and says, who is this king of glory? Listen to this. This is so cool. Oh, yeah, you got it up here. Who is this king of glory? The Lord armed and ready for battle. God is not afraid of a fight. The mighty one, invincible in every way. Verse 9. So wake up. Everybody say it. I'm awake. Glory to God. He said, wake up, living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you ageless doors of destiny. 
Here it is. Watch this. Here he comes. Say it out loud. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. This is how God sees you and me, and this is the point of just about everything we do in growing into the things of God is because God has assigned each one of us to be a gateway and a doorway for His presence in this planet. Amen. You see, God doesn't move outside of His family. He moves through His family. He's not just floating around like a cloud somewhere and every once in a while drops down on somebody and zap, they get it. God ministers to them and helps them. No, that's really not how it goes. He goes through his family, his gateways, and his doorways. And this is something that has to be crystal clear in our life, that we're growing in God, not only so that we can just feel better about life and do better, that's vital too. Jesus paid a price so that we would be healed, restored, delivered, strong in him. So he wants to bless us, but ultimately all of that really revolves around this concept that he wants to come through us as a gate and a door. So you got to discover what opens this door, you gateway, doorway, you. How do you open up to this and what is it that shuts you down to this? You see, the real sad fact is that a lot of those that know Jesus are not really this gateway and doorway. They're more of a closed door, a fear-filled door, a struggling door that has not really been open. They could be, but they're not. They've been shut down by a variety of things. You know, life is messy, life is tough, life is hard. You've had a hard time. Lots of people have had a hard time. In fact, you talk to just about anybody and everybody agrees. They've had a hard time. Some stories are more drastic than others, but everybody's got one. And for so many people, their story has shut them down. And they haven't seen through how to take what Jesus has done to prepare a place in the presence of the Father, and translate that into being this open door prepared for every good work. And so I want to I nail down one particular aspect of this tonight that I believe will help you in opening yourself to not only be healed in a better way and in a clearer way, but also be a, a gateway for him to come through in such a stronger way. So I want you to turn to first, or rather, 2 Timothy, the very first chapter. And we'll start there and see how far we go. Boy, I'm glad you're here tonight for this. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He said, for God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you the might or mighty power, he gives you love 
And he gives you what it takes for self-control or soundness of mind. He gives you might, mighty power. That's dunamis power. That's explosive Holy Spirit power born into every believer in the Spirit. Your inner man has all of that capacity for the presence and power of God to not only reside in you but come out of you. Explosive, mighty power. That's a spiritual force. The Holy Spirit has given you his love, the agape love of God. Not just natural love, not just the capacity to just be a friendly person, but he's given you the capacity to love on a level that is beyond reason. The God kind of love, that's a spiritual force. But then he gives you what he says here is self-control or the New King James Bible uses the term a sound mind. And that is not a spiritual force. That's soulish. That's something that requires a decision. It requires habit. It requires choices to be made. To not follow emotions only when emotions are pulling you away from the things that God wants. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? He doesn't give you the spirit of fear. Fear's the enemy, fear's the currency of the kingdom of darkness, just like faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Fear activates things you really don't want in your life. And I'm not just talking about fear of being spooked by somebody. Somebody comes up and, and you go, ah! That, that was my attempt to int- look as if I was fearful. It's not just getting spooked. It's not just being startled. It's a spirit and a spiritual force that dominates people's lives. And sadly, even Christians who've allowed themselves to remain in a place dominated by that fear. God hasn't given anybody that spirit of fear, but some people have it. What God has given, though, is what it takes to overwhelm it and overcome it and drive it out. He's given you the power. He's given you the love force. But he's also given you the capacity for a sound mind. But the sound mind doesn't happen automatically. There's some things that have to happen. And that's really what I want to talk to you about tonight. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Let's read that one. We'll also use the Passion Translation on this, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed. Everybody say transformed. Transformed. Be transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfied and perfect in his eyes. The Phillips translation says it this way. It says, don't be 
Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. But instead, let God remold your mind from within. He said, let God remold your mind. This isn't automatic, but this is something that has to happen. A refashioning of the way we think. So let me talk to you about this in these terms first. You understand, because you come to the Word Church, you understand that God has made us in His likeness and in His image. And He's made us as a triune being, three parts. Triune is one of those Bible school words you use nowhere else but at a time like this. And I did go to Bible school, so I have to use it because you pay to get this information. Although you got it for free. Look at this. I'm not sure I appreciate that. But that's the way it is. A triune being. All it means is three parts. You know what it means. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three parts. And I realize some people get quite confused and un uncertain about that concept. Is God, God's three, is it three gods? You got three or you got one? I'm confused. Is it three? Is it one? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who's who? Who's boss? And they get quite confused. Now, they don't get confused uh, of the triune existence that an egg has, an egg is also triune. Yeah, we wouldn't use it in that term, but it does have three parts. It has a, it has a shell. Am I running too fast for you? It has a shell and a white and a yolk, and yet nobody struggles over. That's an egg. It's not eggs in one shell. It's not, what is it? it no, it's an egg. Three parts. One egg. One God. One human being also made in three distinct parts or aspects to our life. And the reason I go through this, and I think you have to go through it, is because there's some important things that we have to understand about who we are in Christ and who we are not. Three parts, spirit, soul, and body. God designed mankind to be in His image, in His likeness, a spirit. And when he formed and fashioned that body out of the dust of the earth, and then the Bible says that he breathed life into that lifeless body that God had created out of the dust. And what he breathed was spirit life because God is spirit. But it says in Genesis he became a living soul. So he was spiritual, he was soulish, and he was physical. Now, when he fell and sinned, you know what happened? That spiritual part of his being died, just like God said it would. If you eat the fruit, you're going to die. He didn't die immediately, fall over dead, lifeless body again. No, he was still a body and a soul, but that spirit life had been snuffed out by his own disobedience and betrayal of what God had given. You follow me? Yes. And so th something suddenly changed. And it changed to the point that they, Adam and Eve both realized they were naked. Mm -hmm. 
It's the first time in their existence that they had been. They had always been clothed. They had never been naked before. They'd been clothed by the glory and the presence of God that was inside of them. Just like every other creature that God created, they, they created their own clothes out of their inner being. But now that that inner man had died through sin and disobedience, now they saw they were naked. Now, the amazing thing about this is that God didn't snuff them out because of it. He actually worked with them and helped clothe them. Now, it was kind of pathetic. I'm, I can't even imagine wearing, wearing figs, fig leaves for, for clothing. This has got to be uncomfortable, to say the least. And a variety of other problems, I think, would be a part of it. But it got better. The, the fashion statement did rise, thankfully. But that's not the heart of what I'm saying. What I want you to see, though, is that when Jesus came preparing a place for man in the presence of the Father, the only way that a human being would be able to step into the presence of the Father is they had to be spiritually alive once again. And that's what that new birth did. It infused that Holy Spirit divine life back into that soul and body of a person. And it came at the new birth, and now that person is once again spirit, soul, and body, the way God wanted it in the very beginning. Now spiritually alive and having the capacity to hear the voice of the Lord, to walk with God, to receive the power of God, that might and power that is deposited now on the inside, it's in that innermost being the Spirit. But here's what has to happen. There has to be a transfer of what is real on the inside by the new birth and the way we think because our soul is the connection between body and spirit. Anything that comes into our natural life is going to pass through our soul, anything that comes out of our spirit is going to have to pass through our soul in order to impact our body. Does that make sense? And in fact, it gets just a little more technical. You're the Saturday night crowd, so I'm going to go through it this way. You're all right with this, right? Now, you need to take notes. We'll have a quiz at the end. All right, not really. But the Bible refers to the heart. Throughout Scripture, the, the word is used heart, the heart of a person, the heart of man. And in some cases, it's very clear that the reference to the heart is referring to the spirit, this born-again spirit man. But not every time. There's other times where this heart reference is clearly not the spirit. It's actually, just to be technical for this purpose, it's actually more the soul. It's the mind, the thought patterns. The emotions. The soul is made up of the mind, will, and emotions of our life. That's still part of our inner life, but it's not the innermost part of our life. Remember last night we were talking about the, the temple and the tabernacle in the wilderness? It was actually designed in three parts also. There was three stages of that tabernacle and even the temple. There's the outer court. There's the inner court. And then there's the Holy of Holies, the innermost. 
Each has their purpose, and, and yet you can't get from the outer court to the holy of holies without passing through that inner court. And it's really a picture of a lot of things, and I don't want to get so over, overwhelming here, it just bogs us down with stuff, but I want you to see how powerful it is that the soul is the place that really determines what's going to pass through our life into our outer life and our family and our experiences and our relationships, our body, our, our finances. It's going to pass from our spiritual deposit from God, which has all of the source and resources that we need, but it's going to pass through our soul. And it's going to pass through that link of the heart. The heart really is the overlap between the spirit and the soul. It's really both, the heart. And so here's why I'm going through all this technical jargon. It's because there is a part of the soul, the mind, we just have to pay more attention to. You know, we're not always taught all that well how to think. In fact, education has really changed over years now to where education is not really providing students with the tools to know how to think. They're just being told what to think. Indoctrination, not creativity. Just indoctrinated to certain things based on whatever we think you need to be thinking but God's not like that. God's not telling us always what to think. He wants us to discover how to think. But now follow this, how to think his thoughts because he knows his thoughts are the ones that's going to bring help and deliverance and restoration to every other part of our lives. Glory to God. So yeah, he does tell us what to think because we can trust him. But it's important we discover also how to think and how not to think, the kinds of things that shut down that process. So in Romans, he's told us that our inward man is transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Reformation, a change. Changing, transformation comes by changing how you think. How you think about God, how you think about yourself, how you think about other people, and how you handle the challenges of thinking about other people. Other people can be challenging. We ourselves are not challenging in the least. It's other people that are challenging. And I think we would all agree to that. I mean, I'm convinced you're challenging. <laughs> Come on, you look really holy right now. Jesus gave us a hint about how important this is. It's not more than a hint. It's a clear word. When he was talking about the sower sowing 
the seed of God's Word in a parable that he taught. And he talked about one of the soils that that seed of God's Word had been sown into. Without going through all of them, let me just park on this one. I'm going to read this from the Amplified uh, Translation, Mark chapter 14, or 4, rather, and verse 18 and 19. The one sown among thorns are others who hear the word and then the cares and anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age and the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things, watch this, that creeps in and chokes the word and suffocates the word. And then this last little line is just so sad. And it becomes unfruitful. This is talking about people who have been fruitful. This is talking about people who have walked in the Word, who have seen results, who have had the joy, who have experienced the liberation of salvation. They've experienced what the Word of God will produce in their life. But something has happened. Cares have entered in. Issues have clouded the reality and the authority of the word in their life and in their thinking. Problems, people, those people again. The troublemakers. Oh, they seem so innocent, but they're not. You know, we love to blame. Blame is important. We have to know who to blame. Well, not really, but we feel that way. And of course, blame, typically, if we're skilled at using blame properly, which there is no proper way, you understand what I'm getting at here. But the proper use of the improper manner of blaming is to never blame yourself. It is somebody else's fault. Oh, I may not have done it all right. They, they do try to qualify this because they wouldn't want to sound as arrogant as they actually are. I, I, oh, I'm sure I made mistakes, but you don't know what they did or however it may go. All right, let me back up a bit. Verse 19, again, he says, the cares and anxieties of the world and the distractions of the age. He said, these are the things that enter in to people like you and me. People that have been fruitful in the things of God. People that have received and enjoyed the presence of God in our life. People that have been prepared. We've entered into what God has prepared at times. And we know we are prepared for every good work and that he has prepared these good works for us. And yet here's what happens, he said. These things can creep in. He didn't say they blow in. He didn't say they stomp in. He didn't say they, no, they creep in. Sometimes just a little bit at a time. And they choke and suffocate the word. What a thought. They choke the word off. And these people become unfruitful. They've been fruit producers, but they're not producing fruit now. They've become unfruitful, and this is why. 
So Jesus is saying that there are cares, worries, fears, regrets of this world that can enter in. Not that, not that we're not faced with those things at times in our life. Everybody's faced with these kind of challenges. You have the opportunity to worry. You have the, the opportunity for anxiety. You may, let it, you may let it go for a time or two. But he said these things enter in to some people. Some people allow it in. And I'm going to talk to you about how it happens and how you can change it. There's something in the human brain that science has discovered, and they discovered it years ago, but it, it started to be really looked at in, in more, with more attention in 1949. So that's been a little while ago. And it's called the Reticular Activating System, the RAS. And it's located at the, the back and the bottom of your brain, right where the brain and the stem connect. There's a network of n neurons that are amazing. You know, the brain is amazing. I mean, it's beyond reason how amazing it is. But this RAS area of the brain is got a couple of factors about it that just make it phenomenal. And to understand it can give you a lot of help. Because this is the part of the brain that is like the filter system of what you think and what you'll feel. It filters out data. And it filters out data that is unimportant. Things that really are not important to the moment or the situation. It's the filter. I mean, at any given time, there's data coming in. I mean, enormous amounts of data. Sounds, ideas, thoughts. I mean, even right now, there would be sounds that you're not really giving any attention to. They're not important sounds, but it is coming in. Somewhere in the distance, there's an automobile or a truck driving down some road, and it's creating a sound that is coming into your brain, but you don't give it any, any attention. Why? Because it's just unimportant to the situation in the moment. It's data, but it's data that is filtered. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about this, in fact. But there's people, and you may be one of them. There's a friend, a, a minister that I went to visit one time. He'd asked me over for coffee, and I think I was ministering at his church. Uh, but we had gone to his house. It was a new house, and it was a beautiful new house that he had built, and he had got a good deal on this piece of land. He was happy to tell me about all this, and it was in a, a neighborhood or an area just outside of a major city and, and uh, all of these things. It was great. Well, we're sitting there having coffee, and, and in a moment, all of a sudden, the, the ground begins to shake. And I... I look at him and it's and like, what's going on? I mean, I grew up in California. The ground shakes. You run for the door jam, you know, and run outside, do anything. You don't know what's going on. And so, but all that was happening was that on the back of his property at his new house, there was a railroad track and there was a train coming by. And for him, it was... 
No big deal. As a matter of fact, people that live in that kind of a setting where they have the sounds of the train, or in this case, even the vibration, it was that close, they don't even notice it after a while. What's happening? How can that be? It's this rest. It filters out data that's just unimportant. And it has no bearing on the situation. Well, that's, that can be beneficial. I won't go into a lot of that because there's another factor that this RAS also does. It is also a search engine that would put Google to shame. And in a nanosecond, it can research and search information, data that has been stored. But here's what happens, and here's the problem that can come from this res. This can serve a person well, but it can also be a terrible detriment, depending on how you have programmed your res to function. Are you with me? So a an issue occurs, a problem comes up, a conversation that's kind of harsh and not good. Somebody has said something to you. And they said something to you, and this is somebody you've known. They've said something to you, and, and it didn't hit you right. And your rest goes into overdrive with a search. A search through all the data that you have on this person that supports all the negative feelings that are now about to flood through your entire system over this person. You have a variety of reasons and information, data stored, as to why this person needs to be told some things right now. Here comes the data. All the negative starts to come. And a list begins to form. A printout could be made. It could be pages long of all the negative. The RAS has been programmed through various events and through the way we've seen things and the way other people have maybe said things that did us wrong and now somebody else has said it. We don't know them as well, but we can reflect on what somebody else meant or at least what we feel like they meant. And it gets very complex, but the RAS is a built-in system that feeds, in this case, a very destructive narrative as to how you're going to be able to handle this situation. You're not going to handle this well. This isn't going to turn out well. It's just going to add to the data of why this person is such a creep and so pathetic or whatever other things you end up concluding. You've programmed your RAS because of the things you focused on. And the things you focused on can either create a, a positive search or a negative search. You dictate whether the information and data is important or unimportant by what you've chosen to focus on, how you've chosen to think. What do you think? 
Do you think only in terms of the negative data that you've stored over this situation, this person? Or another scenario that's not quite as drastic, but it's kind of the same direction. You're a kind and loving person. You love Jesus with all your heart. How many of you are in that category here? Come on, 100% participation here. Come on. We're all into this. And yet there can be times when we do something in a per towards a person or we fail, let me go at it this way, we fail to do something towards a person that we really have in our heart to do. We maybe have it in our heart to, to just go say something kind to somebody that we've known. Hey, man, I was thinking about you today. I just wanted to know, you know, you're just important in my life. I love you. God bless you, or whatever it was. Or maybe it was even less than that. Maybe it was something where someone dropped something and you had it in mind to go pick that up and then you just let it, let it pass and let it sit and then do it at all. You have now, in a very small way, in that instance, you have violated and betrayed your own heart. And you have focused your attention and your wrath on the reasons to not do that. And in an instant, you begin to justify why it was okay to not do that. We are masters of justification. Well, no, I didn't say anything to that person. They would, probably wouldn't take it right anyway. And, and, you know, they don't need to hear this. And, you know, they've probably heard of it. They wouldn't believe me anyway. You know, the way they are, they would just take it kind of cynical or they would read into it that I meant something I don't mean. I'm just not even... And suddenly we have a whole series of justifications as to why we did not follow what was in our heart to do. We're living by our emotions, by our misguided focus, instead of following our heart and letting our heart give the Raz the things to focus on. Is this making any sense to you? So we have, to, we have to take personal inventory here. So here's what you'll find will start to happen. You'll start to realize that you have just violated your own heart over one thing or the other. You had the heart to be generous. You had the heart to be complimentary. You had the heart to say something, do something, act on something, receive something, handle it in a different way. You had the heart to do that, but you didn't. And then you justified all the reasons why that was okay. I mean, it can be to the point where at home you had, you had it in mind, you know, I think I'm going to bless my wife and I'm going to not just clean up the, the kitchen dishes, man. I'm going to clean all the countertops and I'm going to do this and that and this. And then, well, I'm kind of busy and she'll do it anyway. And you just let it go. Until you say, oh, wait a minute. I'm not going to betray my own heart. I'm not going to, and, here's, and I mean that, betray, because that's what we're doing. We're betraying who we really are for data, memories, thoughts, habits that have not been subjected to the Word and submitted to the Spirit of God. 
We're betraying our heart, and we are deceiving ourselves. And this is why people have so much of a struggle to hear the things of God, to get a, a direction for what God wants for their decisions in life, because they live in this habit of allowing the rest part of their brain to bring up all the data and reasons and justifications for not following their heart. So what do we do about this? Well, if you've programmed your brain already... You can reprogram your brain. You really can. You can create a new habit and catch yourself. And if you'll ask the Holy Spirit to help you, and I'm going to do it in general. I'm just going to impose it on you, but you're going to have to receive it. Uh, but I'm going to pray for every one of us to have this confrontation, really, of the Holy Spirit so that our thinking is being brought under how to think. So that when your heart does give you a course of action or an action to take and you start to back up from it and justify all the reasons, you'll know exactly what's going on. Wait a minute. This is, this is the res. <laughs> this is the wrong res. I've got to reset the res. I'm not going to let the res harass me. I mean, we could go a long way with this. We'd go all night. But... Um, and we reprogram it. We make a decision. Nope. Instead of ignoring, instead of justifying why I won't, nope, I'm going to make this action on purpose. And when the negative starts to come to justify all of the reasons you've already felt negative about this turkey right over I didn't mean to point at you when I said that. Uh, this tur that turkey over there. <laughs> Wait a minute, no, that's, that's the rest. I'm, I'm changing this. You see, this is what it means. Boy, I'm, I hope we can close all this up tonight. This is what it means when the Bible tells us that love covers. You see, it's, it seems irritating to people, and it has to me, that somebody does what they do, and maybe even violate me with what they've said, what they've done, they've handled things wrong, and what? I got to love them and just cover it up like it never happened. Well, that ain't going to happen. I love Jesus, but I'm not covering that, you turkey. You did it. I didn't point at you. Uh, you did it. And you're not going to get away with it. Now, we don't say it quite that hostile, but that's what goes on, man. It's like they're going to get away with this, and this is not right. Because I got to cover them with love. <laughs> the Bible's also very clear that there's consequences to disobedience. And we don't like that part of the Bible. We really don't. I don't like it at all. I rarely read it. For that very reason. Oh, come on, you look so holy. Okay, yeah, Dennis, you should read it because you're a preacher. Well, why don't you read it? <laughs> Oop, there's that Raz justifying why I could say that to you. 
but I said it. But no, it doesn't mean we have to pretend that nothing happened. Treat it as if everything's fine, everything's okay, you're a jerk, but I'm fine. <laughs> That's not the point at all. Love covers is not, a, not really so much about me covering them. It's about me covering me. And by covering me, this is what I mean. I mean the resetting of the rest, mm -hmm. to use these kind of terms that I'm talking about. Yeah. It is to reset this propensity to let all of the negative fill in all the gaps of this issue in this person's life. Instead of that, I reset this by choice. No, I'm not going to go down that track. No, here's what God says about this person. Here's what I say now about this person. I cover them with love from me. You know, you can't exempt them from the consequences of their disobedience anyway. So we don't have to be fearful that we're going to pretend like everything's okay. It's not okay. But I'm going to cover with love within myself. Because I am... I am commanded by God and my heart is to serve God so that I remain obedient to the Lord and I walk in the love of God the way God described I must regardless of what they've done. That doesn't mean I pretend they didn't do it. It's that I am not going to go down that road in my thoughts because I am training myself how to think. And so I begin to cover it with the love rather than with all the negative data. There's positive data to be had. And you can start to dig deeper for the positive data. And maybe you'll have to dig real deep and maybe you'll have to just go to the Word to find any. But that's fine because it begins to create a habit. And it begins to restore. Now you watch. It'll begin to restore a relationship. Because when somebody feels safe, that you're not going to rehearse all of the negative data that you have on them, but they feel safe enough around you that you're going to handle them with love regardless of all the data you have. You know, we've all got history and we've all got history of others those that are close to us particularly. Mm -hmm. A lot of history, a lot of data, a lot of negatives. There are so many things that you've done that have just broken my heart. You have that, do you remember? <laughs> it, it, was so, it was so bad, <clears throat> it was so hurtful, and you just went on. And you think I'm supposed to treat it. We've got loads of this, and some people are highly skilled at bringing this data to the surface on a regular basis as if that's going to be helpful. No, it's abusive. Mm -hmm. All right, don't get me started and all that. Anyway, this is part of what it means when Scripture tells us to renew the mind. Yeah. Transformation comes by the renewing of the mind. It's renewing the mind regarding who God is, yes. It's renewing our mind regarding who we are now that we're in Christ. Absolutely. But it's also renewing the mind in how 
much liberty I have in handling God's people or anybody in my life. I have to renew my mind that I cannot just let it all fly anymore. I'm a different person now. I have a different pattern of life now. I have a different responsibility now. I'm a gateway and a doorway. Goodness gracious. I can't just let anything fly. All that, all that history that I've had, you know, not all history is good. So we don't have to change the history, but we just don't have to bring it up. Oh, I'm glad you're excited about all this. The renewing of the mind refocuses the soul. It makes, it, it makes the concept of choosing to be happy realistic. You see, happiness really is a choice, as is unhappiness. People that are unhappy people, and they're in churches all the time, probably not here on Saturday night, but there'll be several here in the morning. <laughs> There's unhappy people in church, and why? Because so many times, in fact, all the time, people have made a choice. Now, they've justified the choice by all the data that they've had as to why it's reasonable for them to be unhappy. You don't know the trouble I've seen. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know how many. And you're right. You're absolutely right. I know none of that. And I'll take it one step further, and this will maybe surprise you. I don't mean to hurt you in any way, shape, or form. I love you. But I don't care. (laughs) Doesn't mean I don't care about you. I don't care about all that history that is wrecking your present life. There's no justification for it. There's no reason to justify it. So at some point, we just have to reprogram our soul. And that's what God has given us, these deposits in the Spirit. This is what the mighty power of God and that love that God has placed in you, infused in you, that's what it is a master at doing. But we have to connect our soul and spirit in a way where we're feeding our soul with that love of God that comes out of our inner man, and we just have to force feed it sometimes so that our soul is getting a new habit. Now, this doesn't take forever, but it can take a little while. So don't get discouraged if you struggle with this. You have to simply stick with it. This is how we grow, and this is how your soul Now, to use a term that the book of James, chapter 1, verse 21 uses, this is how your soul is saved. Mm -hmm. The salvation of the soul is not automatic. We use that term, but it is not an automatic thing. It's the salvation of your life and your inner man is born again at the new birth, but the soul has to be restored and renewed. The mind has to be renewed, reset, recalibrated. And oftentimes that's a process, and for some it's such a slow process, they go to the grave and don't even get started. They can go to heaven. It'll get all sorted out then, but it may take a little time. Thankfully, they're in eternity. They have not any more concerns about time. 
All right, that's another deal. <laughs> it's kind of bizarre, though, when you think about eternity. There is no time in eternity. So it takes no time at all to do everything in eternity. But nothing takes any time because there is no time. So we have lots of time. But we say we have lots of time in eternity. We have 10,000 years and 10,000. We don't have that because we don't have years, because we don't have time. We just have eternity. You see, the brain really doesn't get it, which is so cool, which is why it's so fun to, to just wander through and, and, and mess with our minds. All right, let me try to come in for a landing on this. But it's a long final. No time. I like you. You need to be in every one of my meetings. I've got to edit which way we're going here. First Peter 5, 7 in the Amplified Bible again. He says, casting the whole of your care. Now that's, you know how we've gotten there, that Jesus talked about how the cares of the world entering in choke the word. And a great deal of the cares that enter in are these relational issues and these struggles with the data that we've stored that we've allowed to come up in an instant of time over situations and what people have done or said. So he says, just do something with this. Cast all of it over on the Lord. So in the Amplified Bible, he says, cast the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For what? He cares for you. The way he cares is not the same way we care. We carry cares as worries. He is not worried about you. But he is in love with you and interested in the maximum life coming into your life. And he knows exactly how to bring it about. So he said, this is what you do. You cast the whole of your care on him because he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. The psalmist David had something to say about this very thing. Psalm 55 is a psalm where he describes what's going on inside of him over having been betrayed by his closest friend, Ahithophel. It's a phenomenal story, and really Psalm 55 is absolutely phenomenal because one minute... He's talking to God about God's loving kindness. The next minute he's talking, it seems, to his friend who would not have been there about how he's been betrayed by him. And then he's talking to God about God's blessing in his own life. And then he's talking to God about wanting his friend to be in hell and he would like him to participate in putting him there. The thing you got to appreciate about David is he laid it all out to God. There was no games being played here. God, I love you. I hate them. I want them dead and in hell, and I'd like it to happen right away. But Lord, you are loving and full of love and mercy. 
and he seemed to make no bones about having both happening in him at the same time. Sounds like a problem with the Raz, but I think he got past it. So here he says in verse 22, he said, So here's what I've learned through it all. Well, don't you want to hear what David learned through all this? He said, Leave all your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord, and measureless grace will strengthen you. That's the Passion Translation. I didn't mention we were using the Passion again. Come on, keep up. <laughs> yeah, that was cold. But... Uh, but it happens. So we're looking for the passion translation of this. There it is, this, as we all agree. So, so here's what I've learned through it all. Leave your cares and anxieties at the feet of the Lord. And measureless grace will strengthen you. That's what we have to have. It takes the grace, the empowering of God from within in order to reset these things properly. But we need this reset is that true for you? Is this making sense to you? I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do something in us because He is building a body of people that will be these gateways and doorways in an aggressive and open manner in this point in time. See, for the church to flourish, the body of Christ, not just a single place, but throughout the body of Christ, for us to flourish and be effective, we have to grow up in these kind of things. There's too much hostility. There's too many cares and too much worry and too much anger and too much justification for all of it. So instead of staying in that mode, we take on a scriptural approach to these things and we make it personal. I can't fix what the rest of them are going to do, but I can lay hold on the promise of God and deal with what I must do. So I want to charge you in the name of Jesus tonight. I was going to say recommend, but I think it should be stronger than that. That you reset your wrath. The reticular activating system of your brain. It's part of the renewing of your mind. It's how you change the way you respond. So that we're no longer reacting, but we're responding in faith and love and power. That's what it really takes. We're so quick to react. We have allowed ourselves to be reactionary, but it's destined to miss the mark. But when we respond, we take the time to consider the response so that we're responding in a way that really agrees with who we are in Christ. This is the power that begins to emerge, and you watch. You don't lose control. You walk in control. Suddenly you recognize that what God gave you, not the spirit of fear, but of power and love and, and a sound mind. It creates control. Where you're not reacting, but free to respond by faith and love and see something happen on a different level. Are you ready for this? I want you to stand with me and let me pray for you. I know there's people in this audience tonight that are in desperate need of what we just dealt with. 
Maybe just one or two. But here's what betrayals against you by others have done. They've created such a strong search engine that brings up those negatives and the justifications for all of it that it has paralyzed you. And it's paralyzed you to be able to be free in Jesus and feel you can grow. It actually becomes for some, and I don't think this is the case here tonight. Could be, but I don't think it is. It becomes the, the seedbed for that spirit of suicide that begins to work against your soul so strong because of the, the abundance of data that has painted such a dark picture for you. And here's what the Holy Spirit can do, because this is more than a mental thing. There's a spiritual side to all of this. And there are things that Satan has taken advantage of people over regarding these very issues. So we've been looking at a, a way of approaching this from creating new habits, personal commitments, but there's also a spiritual side, and there's an enemy to your soul. Satan is his name, and those evil spirits have to be told exactly what to do. Yes. They have no right to you. They have no right to your mind. They have no right to your future. They have no right to hold you captive. You've been liberated by the authority of Jesus, and yet... An enemy comes and regains ground. People literally give up ground that doesn't belong to that enemy, but that enemy will take that ground and will bind a person's life when they have been made free by Jesus. This is the contradiction that a person lives with. They love Jesus with all their heart, yet they still remain bound. Or they've become bound like those that were in Mark chapter 4. They became unfruitful because these cares and anxieties paralyzed them by creeping in and literally robbing them of everything, every hope and every thought that they could be free from it. Now, there's, there's one or two people here that are in a deep hole. And when I'm talking about these things, you know that I'm talking about you. Others are here tonight that are just in need, I think like we all are, of a clarity of how to reset our own soul and reset this particular aspect of how we think so that we can think the way God's liberated us to think. So I want to pray for each one of you. Close your eyes and lift your hands. There's an anointing here tonight. I pray for this entire audience. I pray for every man and woman. Father, you've given us information, but it has come with an anointing. And the anointing has come to destroy a yoke of bondage and bring liberty and deliverance to every single one of us. So, Father, flood through our souls that out of our innermost being, there is a brand new river of living water to flood through the rest of our brain and reset our soul. Say it out loud. Lord, I receive, Lord, I receive what, it takes what it takes 
for the reset of my soul. I'm developing a new habit right now and in the days ahead to refocus my own mind, to renew my soul in the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Now, Father, I also stand before this audience and I know there are one, two, maybe two or three even that have found themselves in that deep hole and in the authority of Jesus' name, I break the power of demonic influence in their mind and in their soul and in their emotions in the name of Jesus. And what has paralyzed them, get off of them in Jesus' name. By the authority of the name of Jesus, that power is broken and that spirit has to let them go in the name of Jesus. That there is a liberty in their soul by the authority of Jesus' name. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Now let's every one of us raise our hands and just worship God once again.